Amen. In uh, October, our missions month, missions exist, so the peoples will praise Jesus' name. Amen. We will uh, continue to uh, be led in that as Pastor Chris continues his series uh, that uh, leads us into our World Outreach Celebration. So remain standing with me this morning and reach for your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28. So we'll be reading Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, the Great Commission, familiar passage uh, for uh, for a, a mission's focus and emphasis, the mission mandated and celebrated as Pastor Chris continues in his series leading us to World Outreach Celebration. If you need a Bible, there is a few Bible in front of you. You can turn to Matthew, once again, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, follow along as I read. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for your mandate and your purpose that we can... Uh, spread the gospel and so that the peoples will praise you and praise your son. I pray that uh, you would be with Pastor Chris this morning. Thank you for his preparation in, in this uh, series, and, uh, leading us for our world outreach celebration in a couple weeks. And we think of all the missionaries that will be joining us, and we pray for those uh, that will be with us here in, in the coming weeks. But Lord, just speak to us this morning and uh, help us to have open hearts and minds to learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you keep your Bibles open as we look at this passage. As Zach alluded and Pastor Bruce gave our announcements, our, we're preparing our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our wills for our annual World Outreach Celebration. And again, anyone and everyone would benefit from coming. You invite guests. It's, it's just a good time. And parents, let me tell you, I can't think of a better way to model for your kids how to love missionaries by you bringing them, doing that with them, and learning with them about the Great Commission. Our theme is His Mission, Our Mandate. And last week we looked at the exclusive message of our mandate. And we saw the five essentials of the gospel message from Isaiah 6. And we saw that this message, it's this message and no other message that is the power of God unto salvation for all the world, across the street and around the world, in the most religious nation you can think of and the most secular, in the most civilized regions and the most uncivilized and tribal, among the most reached people groups and the most unreached people groups, there is one gospel and there is no other. If his mission is our mandate, there is no other message that we first must receive and then share. And we saw from Isaiah 6 how the Lord revealed the gospel and then applied it to the heart of Isaiah. And he desires to do that for every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group as we have just sung. Now, last week we talked about what is the essentials, and I said that I've sat in rooms with pastors, and there was great debate, 
and, 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 and just inter- differing ideas about what are the essentials of the gospel. Well, this morning I want you to think in terms of what is the Great Commission? I mean, really, what is it? How would you define it? What are the essentials of the Great Commission? And I can say that if you would ask even veteran missionaries, you might be surprised at the variety of answers you would get. Now, I'm not smart enough to come up with these answers. And guess what? Neither are you. Because they can't be. Come, they aren't derived from the reasoning of man and humanity. They are God-revealed. As much as the gospel is revealed by God, so is his mandate for us regarding missions. And so just to give us some definition to begin with, Jesus' mission is being fulfilled by local churches doing missions. And it's just good to get those two definitions in our mind. Mission without an S at the end, and missions as we typically think about it. Jesus' mission is to fill the earth with the Father's glory by multiplying image bearers who are transformed into His likeness. That is from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. The mission remains the same throughout God's big story. But missions is how Jesus fulfills His mission through the local church. He fulfills it from heaven after His ascension through His local church on earth in the power of the Spirit. That's what missions is. The mission is the whole Bible. Missions is what the church age and what we are to be focused on based ever since His ascension and the descent of the Holy Spirit. Now, in each of the Gospels and the beginning of Acts, Jesus gave our clear mandate to get the Gospel message to everyone, everywhere. And if you would look at all of those, what we call the Great Commission passages, you would see everyone has an emphasis on everyone, everywhere. But perhaps the passage that Zach just read is the clearest mandate for missions that you find in the New Testament. And it's often called the Great Commission. In fact, it's on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. Can, can we read that together? And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now I hope you can see in there that there are four alls in that great commission. And in in the uh, Greek, that those words for all are all the same Greek words. So when they heard this and read this uh, uh, in the early church, they would see that uh, God given alliteration. I love that. And uh, and they would see that word repeated. And so it's the same here in our English Bibles. Now, four times he uses this word all to explain our mandate. And the four alls are probably the simplest way to answer the question, what is our mandate all about? 
what is our mandate all about? And so I want us to look at the four alls this morning. And let's begin with the first one. Our mandate is all about all authority. It is all about all authority. We see this in verse 18. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, and here's the first words out of his mouth, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, the story begins in verse 16 with the eleven coming up to a specific mountain in Galilee that the Lord had directed them to. And before his resurrection and after his resurrection, Jesus and even angelic messengers had told the disciples that the Lord would meet them in the hills of Galilee. Now, most likely, this is the same mountain in Galilee that the transfiguration took place. Uh, Scholars debate on that, but I think it's very likely. If so, that would be Mount Hermon where Jesus was transformed in his glory. So before the resurrection, he is revealed in his glory. But now, after his resurrection, on this same mountain, he is now declared to have been given all authority. Why? He's the victorious king. He has conquered humanity's greatest enemy, which is death. He has defeated God's greatest enemy, which is the devil. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, in his earthly ministry, Jesus was always clear about the authority he exercised here on earth. He always did whatever the Father had commanded him to do and with the, with the authority that the Father had given him. But now here he is on the other side of the resurrection And now that same divine authority has been given directly to him as the risen victorious king, the second Adam. He has now done what the first Adam failed to do. He has now undone what Adam did do. And he is victorious and he is fulfilling the role that all humanity was intended for from creation. That is to rule over all under God. And yet he is the man-God, the sinless, crucified, buried, and now risen man-God, God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. He's been confirmed to be the Christ. He is the anointed one, the chosen one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords with all authority. You can go to Philippians 2 and it tells you the same story. That though he was in the likeness of God, he was worshipped as God. He surrendered not his divinity, not his divine nature, not his deity, but the right to be recognized as God and he took on the likeness of a man. And being found in the flesh of a man, he lowered himself even further to be a servant. And then he lowered himself even further to die across death. Why? Because he was a sinner? No, because he was obedient to the Father. And therefore it says, For this reason God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, on the earth, 
and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What? To the glory of the Father. That's the mission. He was fulfilling the mission. Jesus didn't become more divine after the resurrection as the sinless God-man. He has been given instead. He is not more divine. He's still divine. He's still human, but he has the right to rule and sit at the Father's right hand. Now, let's ask a couple questions about this authority. First of all, how much authority was Jesus given to exercise? And what does the text say? All authority, all authority, not just some authority, all authority, not just spiritual authority, but all authority, spiritual and physical, personal and political, relational and national, financial and judicial, geographical and universal. He's got it all. Not just authority to forgive sins, which we tend to focus on, but the authority to also change your heart and your life. He has the authority to rule every second, every minute, every month, every year in all things. Jesus has been given all authority to rule over all of us. Now, why is this true? Because of how far the authority extends. Here's another question. According to this passage, this verse, how far does his authority extend? What's the answer? In heaven and on the earth. The risen and ascended king has authority over everyone, everywhere, no exceptions. Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper once said, and has often been repeated, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, mine. Mine. It's all mine. It extends up to the highest heavens. Up, up as far as you can go. It extends down to the lowest earth. Down, 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 even beneath the unseen realm of Satan and his demonic hordes. Jesus' authority extends over every power, every authority, every ruler, every president, every prime minister, every judge, or army, and everything in between, including every terrorist. All are under the authority of the risen king, who possesses all authority in heaven, on the earth, and even under the earth. Third question, what does this authority enable Jesus to do? That's a significant question. I mean, if someone has all authority, it begs the question, what are you going to do with it, right? What is he going to do it? Well, the answer is this. He has the right and authority to whatever pleases him, to exercise his authority. But here's what pleases him. To fulfill God's kingdom plan for all peoples. You see, right now, with all of his authority, Jesus is calling out a people for the kingdom. He's calling out a people from every tribe, people, language, and tongue for the coming kingdom. And the apostle John was given a vision from God that reveals what this is going to look like right before his second coming. If you want to turn there, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. 
John is there persecuted for the faith, and yet he's taken up into heaven, and he sees in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written on inside on back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book and to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy, we just sang about it, to open the book and to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Last week, Isaiah was looking for that root and shoot of David. The root of David has overcome so as to open the book in its seven seals. And I saw between the throne and with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. The roaring lion of Judah is victorious as the bleeding lamb of God, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Think of the audacity of approaching God's right hand and taking a book from his hand. Why? Because he has earned that. He is worthy of that as the victorious second Adam. He takes it, and when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth is about to be fulfilled. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So what does that, what does all that glorious vision have to do with our mandate of all authority? Well, let me give you two implications. The first is this. We have all authority to share the gospel with everyone everywhere. Every Christ follower has all authority to share the gospel. We don't need anyone else's permission or authorization. We have all, all, every one of us, from the weakest to the strongest, from the oldest to the youngest, we all have been authorized to be ambassadors for Christ, everyone and everywhere. Just think of Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Listen, if you're a Christ follower this morning, the question is not whether you choose to be a witness. You are a witness. The choice is, are you going to be a good one or a bad one? Are you going to be a vocal one? Or are you going to be a silent one? Are you going to be a bold one or a fearful one? That is the question. Are you going to be a loving one or a mean one? You know, there are mean Christians. You know that, right? And they witness in a mean way. And that is not our calling. The question is, are you a good witness or a bad one? 
But this, listen, now, having emphasized that, let me step back and say, when we're talking about mean witnesses, it doesn't mean you don't need to earn the right to be heard. Amen? It doesn't mean you don't need a right to be heard. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be kind and patient, humble and wise. Timing is everything when it comes to witnessing. The problem is we never get around to the time of vocalizing. Okay, timing is everything. Let your speech be seasoned with salt, imparting wisdom and grace to the hearer. But what this does mean is that everyone who is a Christ follower has all authority to share the gospel with anyone, anytime, any place. Sila. That includes at school, on college campuses, in the workplace, neighborhood meetings, seminars for work, sporting events, you name it, you're authorized to share it and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I often tell a story. We had a discussion at youth camp, and we're talking about witnessing and and seeking to mobilize our young uh, teens uh, witnessing. And and one, uh, they finally kind of in a chorus kind of said, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're not allowed to witness at school. It's against the rules. And we had to call an audible. We had to call a timeout and go to this passage and say, look, look, there may be consequences for sharing, but you are authorized to share the gospel to anyone, anytime. But there's a second implication I want you to see, and it's this. We have all authority to share the gospel even when demonic and human authorities say otherwise. We have all authority. And you know what that means? That when we have all authority to share the gospel, we can do it in spite of closed doors. We can do it in in spite of restricted access. We can do it in spite of legislation. There are no closed doors. There's just greater consequences for sharing the gospel. That's the reality. There are no closed doors, but there are greater consequences for doing it doing what Jesus has given us authority to do in sharing the gospel. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, the example of Peter and John is a classic example that we're authorized even when demonic or human authorities seek to silence us. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18, we hear the story where the Jewish religious authorities have commanded Peter and John to quit speaking about the name of Jesus. And here's how they respond, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We're witnesses, and witnesses testify, and you can't silence us. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. So what do Peter and John do now that they've been threatened? What do they do with all authority to share the gospel? They go right back out and share the gospel again. Drop down to Acts 5, 27. How did the earthly authorities respond? Acts 5, 27. 
When they brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in His name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles, it wasn't just bold Peter. It was every one of them. We must obey God rather than men. So after some intense debate over what to do with these these bold witnesses, the religious authorities again threatened them to stop sharing. And look at verse 40. After calling the apostles in, they flogged them. There's no closed doors, just greater consequences. They flogged them and they ordered them not to speak the name of Jesus and then released them. And so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now, what should we learn from their example? We have all authority to share the gospel. And it is our privilege to suffer the consequences for doing so. Just like the apostles. Just like our Lord and Savior did. Am I looking forward to that? No. Do I fear and tremble and humble and pray to God, grant me the grace? Yes, I do. But I know it must be done. It can be done. And by God's grace, we can do it. Now, that's, that's the first of the four alls. What's the second? The second is this. Our mandate is all about all people. It's all about all peoples. Stop and get the picture in your mind. The risen Lord is there on the mountain. Some believe the highest mountain in that area. He's, he's, he's touching earth, reaching to the heavens. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he pauses. Now, what's he going to say? What's he going to do with this authority? And we see it in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Now, we've already seen that this is a mandate to create a gospel-sharing movement with all authority. But to whom are we to go? Who are we to share with? Jesus is clear. All nations. But this all of the four alls is perhaps the most misunderstood. When you think of all nations, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? Maybe the United Nations. Maybe countries, maybe the flags that you see all around our auditorium. Maybe you think of borders. Maybe you think of politics. Typically, here's what we think when you think of a nation. We think borders, passports, and lines on a map. But this word for nations is the Greek word for ethne, and you can hear that, our English, ethnicity, ethnicity and ethnic. Instead of political borders, when you see all the nations, you think cultural barriers. 
When you see this, instead of passports to get into a country, you think about people groups who need Christ. When you see this, instead of thinking lines on a map, think of people in groups that cannot be limited to lines and on a map or political borders. Because here's the reality about our world. Those who conquer draw the lines on the map. And after both world wars, the victorious nations would draw lines on a map and erect borders that would often split people groups. And they'd also draw borders around several people groups that don't speak the same language, that don't have the same culture, don't have the same values. And what's the result? Conflict. Conflict. So here's the question. Which is stronger? Political borders or lines on a map? Cultural borders or lines on the map? Which are stronger? Now, dare I get into this, but I will briefly. The Israeli-Hamas war has to do with lines on the map. You need to do your history. You need to understand what's happening. Far better to have hot tears rather than hot takes on social media about what is going on in the world. And it is about lines on a map, but it has deeper connotations of cultural barriers between people groups, people groups within Palestine, people groups that are even within Israel. But deeper still than lines on a map, then cultural barriers, deeper still, is the human depravity of the human heart. We as Christians need to go to the depth and understand that the most horrendous act by a terrorist, that same act of aggression and violence and rebellion and sin runs straight through your heart and mine, straight through our hearts. And that's why we needed a Savior. And that's why. They need a Savior too. Don't mistake what I'm saying. Political borders are good and need to be defended, managed with compassionate justice for the protection of its citizens. That is a moral right from given by God. He created the nations, don't forget. But our mandate as a church is to reach every single people group on this planet. And that includes Israelis and Palestinians. That includes people groups in democracies and in dictatorships. That includes Jews and all the rest of us, us Gentiles. So what does this have to do with our mandate for missions? Did I escape that moment? I think I did. I think I did. I hope you got the point. Here's the implications. Number one, we have all authority to reach all people groups, not just cross borders. We have authority to reach all people groups. Listen, that's why we as a church invested in what we called Mark for the Maconde people group. By God's grace and His glory, in 2014, nearly a decade now, we funded the entire gospel of Mark for the Maconde people. And because why? Because we're looking beyond the nations. We're looking beyond the lines on a map. We already had missionaries in Tanzania, now in Kenya. We have missionaries in Mozambique, but there's a people group. 
the Makonde, who do not have the Bible in their heart language. And by God's grace and for His glory, here's the entire New Testament. The entire New Testament. And we had a part in that. Can we get excited? Yes! That's the whole New Testament. And you turn here, and here's Matthew 28, and they even get a little sketch there of Jesus on the mountain giving the Great Commission. Now they have it in their heart language. But listen to me, that's not it. That's not where it is. We support the translator that is still working on parts of the Old Testament. And we partner with Faith Comes by Hearing, an organization there in Phoenix or New Mexico. And I can announce to you now, through their efforts and our partnership with them, the Maconde film of the entire Gospel of Luke is now available. The entire New Testament, this entire New Testament, is now available on audio, the entire, in the Maconde language. Why? Because the mandate is to reach all people groups, not just borders of countries. Listen, we put these flags up of the nations to cast a global vision. But let me emphasize to you, and we say they're going to countries, but each of these missionaries are going to people groups. They're going to specific locations. They have specific cultural barriers. And so let these flags remind you, there are literally in some of these nations thousands of people groups, and you have to cross those cultural barriers with the gospel. Listen, some of these people groups need the gospel. All of these need the gospel. Some of them hate our country. And some of them we are even at war with as a nation. That doesn't change our mandate as a church. They need the gospel. And we are to do that. Here's another implication. Number two, we have no authority to write off any person or any people group as unworthy or unreachable. We don't have the right to do that. And yet, I don't know about you, but I have a heart, as I've already said, that's depraved. I'm tempted. Listen, there is no person too sinful for God to save. There is no people group too unworthy to be reached with the gospel including the most radicalized Muslim or terrorist group. Think about the Apostle Paul. Before he was saved, he was a terrorist of sorts. He was a murderer of Christians. There is no one. Think of the, even the most immoral person. Think of the Samaritan woman at the well. Think of the most proud gay rights advocate. And then think of the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Are you ready? Such were some of you. Such were. Such were. Past tense. Why? Such were some of of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the spirit of our God. Is that glorious? 
That's what it's about. No people group is too unreachable for Christ and His church. As you know, and I won't mention his name for security, one of our missionary partners, he's right there in the back on the poster, is not able to come because he doesn't have a visa. But in that country, which is a Muslim country, the anti-American protests have gotten so great, he feared to leave his family and come to our conference. I understood that. We understand that. And he said, but the, my greater concern is these protests are clogging the streets to where our church can't. Getting to church for services and holding Bible studies are going to be a hindrance. Please pray that we can meet and we can gather. In other words, there's someone that understands that no one's too unreachable, even in a restricted access, ac- access country. There can be people to go. Would you go? Would you consider going? in the weeks to come. No people group is beyond the reach of the saving power of the gospel. So our mandate's about all authority to reach all people groups, but there's a third all, and here it is. Our mandate is all about all commands. It's about all commands. Look at verses 19 and 20. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, what does this tell us about our mandate? Two implications. First, the mandate is not about making decisions, but it's about making disciples. The goal is not just professions of faith. It's not just praying a prayer. It's not just getting baptized. It's not just joining the church. It's nothing less than a community like this, of called out people by God the Father who placed their faith in God the Son in order to become fully devoted Christ followers in the power of God the Spirit. There's one major command in this passage, and that one major command is make disciples. But to fulfill that one command involves three commitments. I summarize them by E-D-M. They're right there. They're in your notes. I didn't want you to miss it. Go to them in order to evangelize. If we're going to make disciples, it begins with leading them to Christ. Baptize them in order to disciple them. Baptism is not the ending of the race. It's the starting point of being discipled to obey all his commands. And then third, we teach them to obey all Jesus has commanded. Why? Because we want to multiply disciples to go on the mission through missions. So here it is, evangelism, discipleship, and missions. Now, here's the second implication of that. There's only one way to get this job done, and Jesus tells us, obedience. Obedience to all the commands, not just the ones we like, not just the ones we're comfortable with, but with all of them. Listen, beloved, we will never get the gospel every, to everyone everywhere by just doing evangelism with no discipleship. And just we will never do it by just doing discipleship, but never going out, never reaching out, knowing, never going beyond our culture and our preferences. And we will never fulfill this by just giving to missions without doing both evangelism and discipleship 
here at home. That's the plan. And that is what the World Outreach Celebration is all about. It's about you finding your part, doing your part, all of us praying and giving, going wherever God has led us, and sending others farther where maybe we are not called to go. It's about welcoming the cultures that are in this community all around us that you shop with, that are moving into your neighborhoods. And it's, it's opening doors and a welcoming heart, and it's mobilizing the next generation to reach the nations. But how long are we to do this? Well, that's the last all. Number four, our mandate is all about all time. All time. Look at verse 20. And lo, not woe, we saw woe last week. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Lo means behold, look up, listen, listen. I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what we do until he comes. And the great I am is with us all the time to the end of the age. The I am God, who is the ever-present redeemer, who is the ultimate promise keeper, who is reaching out to Israel even now and is reaching out to the Gentiles as a light to the Gentiles. But we need light bearers to go, to go with the gospel. Two implications. Jesus is always with those who are on mission with him. Jesus is always with those who are on mission with him. Listen, This is not a promise for those who sit sour and soak. This is not for spectators on the sidelines. This is not for fans sitting in the stands. This is for followers who are on mission. And when you're on mission, Jesus says, I'm with you because I'm out there in front of you, around you, and behind you to take you where I want you to go. One Bible student observed that this is not so much a promise that Jesus will be with us as much as an invitation for us to be with him on mission. Isn't that good? Come join me. Come join me. Secondly, Jesus is always with those who are on mission through his local church. Through his local church. If I had time, we'd go to Revelation 1. And I would show you, where is Jesus most present on this earth? And in Revelation 1, the risen, ascended, and soon returning king of kings with all authority in heaven and on earth is standing in the midst of local churches. In the midst of local churches. Listen, his presence is not just with individuals, mission agency, or parachurch agencies. We partner with all of those but his presence is especially working for his mission through the imperfect, often broken, seemingly weak local churches all around the world, including ours. If you look at the book of Acts, you see how the apostles celebrated this mandate. And again, I didn't want you to miss it. When you go to the book of Acts, they leave Matthew 28 
You go to the book of Acts and you see how did they understand the Great Commission. And you see in the book of Acts, they focus on three things. Planting local churches, establishing local churches, multiplying local churches. You know what the Great Commission is? Here's how I say it. It's that. It's planting, establishing, and multiplying local church. There's a lot of good things that can be done to foster that, but at the end of the day, if what you and I are doing, or even our missionary guests, if they are not focused on fostering the planting, establishing, and multiplying of local churches, then we've missed the mandate. We've missed the mandate. And so I will close with this. Our mandate is a call to all to give our all in getting the gospel to everyone, everywhere. And so I ask you this, in light of what we've seen this morning, what's your next step to doing your part to fulfilling this mandate for missions? What's your next step? The obvious one is come to our world outreach celebration. But be thinking in the weeks to come. Be praying, Lord, where can I step up? Where can I lean into to being a part of this glorious mission of Jesus through the missions of his churches? If you bow your hearts with me in prayer, this is your opportunity to respond. Respond. Maybe you are the mission field. You need the gospel this morning. If so, Simply come to him, give him your sins, and say, give me your righteousness, for I am unworthy, but I want to be saved. But many here have already done that. The question is, what are you leveraging your life for? Where are you in this gospel mandate? Heavenly Father, you're the most gracious and loving God. We thank you for your missionary heart because it brought someone to us with the gospel. We praise you for giving your son all authority to reach all people groups with the gospel. And it is advancing in spite of global chaos. Your mission is our mandate as your people. Right now, we want to recommit as a church to go and make disciples, not just here in Kansas City, but all around the world. And Lord, as we sing these words, we're loved and forgiven, compelled by a vision to see his mercy proclaimed, announcing salvation to every nation, all for the sake of his name. Lord, may we not merely sing this, but live it this week, This week, out among the peoples of Kansas City. Father, we pray this and ask you to do it for the fame of the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.